Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Absolute Return Podcast. On today's show, we welcome special guest, Climate Rock CEO, Per Ragnarsson. Climate Rock is a special purpose acquisition company that plans to acquire strategic renewable assets and enabling technologies with large decarbonization potential and strong financial history and prospects. On the show, Per discusses what specific types of opportunities the SPAC is looking at, his thoughts on the current market environment, the outlook for sustainable investing, key segments of the sustainability sector that investors should have on their radar, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show on renewable energy investing with Climate Rock CEO Per Ragnarsson. Welcoming Per Ragnarsson from Climate Rock all the way from London, UK. How are you, Per? Uh, thank you for coming on the show so late tonight. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm uh, delighted and uh, good time of the day. Yeah, and I hear it's very hot in London as it is in North America these days, which plays very well to what you're up to at Climate Rock in terms of uh, sustainable investing, ESG, and things of that nature. But prior to our discussion on what you're up to at Climate Rock, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about your early career background, including how you initially got into finance and your experience at various Wall Street firms across the pond. Yeah, thank you. No, I'm uh, I'm a, a Danish national, uh, so uh, I started my banking career back in the 80s in Denmark. I uh, spent uh, about a year in New York in 1990. A lot of things happening 89, 90 in the in the financial uh, sector, and uh, I really got the uh, appetite to not work in, out of Copenhagen in the long run, but going back to one of the big financial centers, and so. Um, Coming back to Copenhagen and then later moving to London '94, with the objective of being in one of the big financial centers um, and in finance. And um, it was probably, uh, I started my career as an apprentice, so um, it wasn't sort of a late decision for me to go into banking. I kind of started there and uh, I grew up in an environment where, um, in many ways, uh, things are only sort of uh, you know, appearing to you in, in hindsight what you learned and uh, what you benefited from. Uh, but um, having spent uh, then the sort of uh, early 90s uh, to uh, sort of mid-noughties in the city of London with a few stints in New York uh, at various institutions, it became, uh, a, you could say, a career that was focused on uh, the industries that are relevant to renewable energy today. So energy, infrastructure, transportation, engineering uh, companies. So. Um, Late stage technology development, but more the deployment of uh, of, uh, of engineering uh, technologies. And uh, on the other side, uh, on the finance uh, side, it was about you know how do you, how do you fund these things? So different uh, structures from everything from common equity to super senior debt, public private uh, structures, different types of investors and different deals. So I think you know th- those years formed uh, you know certainly my my uh, my. Uh, Let's call it approach to going into renewable energy back in 2006 and 7, bringing bringing some of the structuring experience from the financial markets, uh, bringing the industry experience from some of the sectors that I covered over the years, and 
And I would probably sort of point to four years at Moody's where I, I was in a position to dig deep uh, into sectors as a research analyst. But I would also go back to my uh, my sort of uh, early adulthood uh, in Denmark. Uh, you're working with and beating some individuals that were uh, quite early movers in uh, in talking about greenhouse gas effects and talking about uh, how you need to save your energy um, and uh, and later on in life learning from the, um, the the Danish uh, experience of being an early mover into renewable energy and uh, and clean tech and energy efficiency. Certainly, renewable energy being a huge topic in Europe these days, just given what's going on with sourcing of natural gas from Russia, yep. obviously yep. highly controversial there. And then even Germany now refiring up those coal-fired power plants, which is obviously a, a huge concern from a pollution and climate change yep. perspective. But that's a whole nother discussion now transitioning from Wall Street to entrepreneurship, you made that move a while back. So can you describe how this transition was? And was it your goal to always work you know, within sustainability, ESG, and really trying to improve life for humans? I, I, think, um, I think it came due to the background with energy and transport markets and infrastructure and finance. It was clear to me that it was a sector that um, I, I think uh, I, it, it appealed to me. Uh, it made sense. It also makes logical sense. You try and do something for the better of uh, of society. Uh, and um, but I, I didn't. It wasn't something I planned five years earlier. <laughs> so uh, you know uh, that was uh, that was. There's been a couple of waves when it comes to clean tech and renewables over the years, and and, and Europe did start quite early. Um, in fact, so did parts of the U.S. as well. Uh, if you go back to the 90s, but um, I probably benefited from having a very strong relationship to people in in the Scandinavian environment. Either they were involved in hydroelectric power in Norway and Sweden and Finland, or they were involved in wind energy in Denmark that migrated into other countries. Or Norway was on, also one of the early movers in in, uh, in solar energy, uh, with a lot of production later moving to Germany, uh, only to be taken over by China eventually. So uh, having seen how the trends of moving. Yeah, development and production and innovation from from country to country. Uh, I think it um, there was a lot of the things in the supply chain, in the engineering sector, as well as in the energy market that appealed to me. And I knew I had the uh, the background in structured finance to actually um, to 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 help deliver something. And uh, I remember when I set up my first shop, it was it was really because I probably reached the point where I wanted to try out doing something without a safety net, so to speak, having formed uh, divisions within uh, a few banks and uh, built them uh, into some self-sustainable uh, se- uh, sectors of the bank and, and then trying out how it would be to, to do your own thing. I always had the opinion that I need to meet somebody with the idea because I wasn't the idea generator, but I could help to form and structure and and, uh, and move an idea forward. Uh, so that, that kind of the role I took in entrepreneurship. Yeah, really taking on the, the execution aspect. That makes yeah. sense given your background. Is there any other advantages that your background in capital markets has has provided you as you've transitioned um, to to entrepreneurship and, and sustainability with Climate Rock? I, I think it's um, it's an interesting question. Actually, I think it's um, when you look at what you bring to the table. Entrepreneurs are often seen as being you know have no risk adversity, right? So it's all about the idea and and uh, speaking of the idea and the vision, which is great. But when you then bring in other people's money, then there's an element of it where you need to look at the um, 
the risk profile and manage the risk and, and trying to balance the uh, the, uh, the growth and the ambitions and the uh, excitement uh, with with, uh, with that execution factor. So I, I think actually um, having spent years in financial risk management helps you to uh, to to um, to to build the platform perhaps better for for uh, an entrepreneurial business. And um, yeah, I think, I think I think that's probably one of the things actually. Now, your current project, Climate Rock, is a special purpose acquisition company. It went public in New York in May of this year. What initially drew you to the blank check vehicle? They've been quite popular as of late. Well, first of all, whenever I come across projects uh, or, or, or products in capital markets, I'm always curious, and, and that's down to my upbringing within uh, investment banks like like JP Morgan, Merrill Lynch, after my extended Moody's and and and. Um, you know, sometimes you know, product innovation in the financial service sector has a bad connotation, but um, but there's also a lot of positive uh, innovation. And uh, and and with the uh, the blank check companies, I I felt uh, it was an opportunity when you were looking to to set up uh, investment structure uh, where you knew you're going to uh, make acquisitions to to grow that uh, that uh, investment company, and where. If you look to other structures like uh, REITs in the property market or yield codes in renewable energy markets, um, uh, the, the SPAC structure appealed to me because it allowed you to be more, let's call it heterogeneous on the portfolio uh, or even consider a more vertically integrated business model than just buying assets, and um, uh, which makes you more or less a fund manager. right? And, and uh, I felt the opportunity was to create something, given where the market is going, that was a bit more vertically integrated as a, as a business where that could involve development and operation and also services. So different income stream that will contribute to a growth story that will also see you through the cycles. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. In terms of Climate Rock's mandate or focus area, the sustainability, clean tech, ESG sectors... There's a myriad of different segments within that, different opportunities. What specific opportunities are you looking for within the umbrella of sustainability, clean tech? And in addition, what are some characteristics of the ideal target company? Well, I think we have, we have a global market nowadays. Uh, I think a few years ago, Stanley Ping from BlackRock came out saying that renewables have gone mainstream. And I think that's very much the case. But there are still different bottlenecks and, and different development stages in different regions of the world uh, that are learning from each other. Europe is definitely a very mature renewable energy market. And uh, until we had the issue with energy security related to Ukraine and Russia and the global gas markets and energy markets in general, um, it was also seen as being almost like a market where, it, it, you know, as an institution investor, it didn't make any sense to invest in, in German renewables, for instance. That that has completely changed uh, since uh, you know since we started our process. But but even so, uh, the, the maturity of the market also means that you have companies that are going back perhaps 20 years, uh, founded by individuals that are either 
you know, looking for succession or simply looking for an exit or, or looking to, uh, to go from being regional to being global. So that offers many acquisition opportunities uh, of established players. Uh, and, um, and then when you think about uh, the, uh, the nature of the IPO market these days, probably uh, uh, a SPAC structure, uh, certainly what we're finding after listing, uh, having raised the capsule for a strategy that, uh, that we and others uh, you know, think makes sense. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of opportunities, as I just described, uh, amongst these type of companies, ownership structures, looking for what's next looking to diversify from one sector to another within renewables. Um, so, so that's probably where, where you will see us being active. Yeah, no doubt you've been uh, very active lately in terms of your search for the ideal company to merge with, VSPAC. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on the current market environment? Obviously, it seems uh, highly competitive, particularly in SPACs. In addition, the wider macroeconomic environment rising interest rates, volatile equity markets, tougher financing conditions. What are your thoughts on how things are looking from your perspective? Well, well I think you're absolutely right. The macros are, are, are you know, uh, a bit uncertain, to say the least. The, um, the trends with interest rates and, and, um, and um, also in terms of, um, uh, you know, the perception of specs in the markets and the um, the recent activity in SPAC markets when it comes to these specs, I think we're seeing a growing number of specs that are asking for extensions. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, in general, you could say that the market uh, therefore is negative. Ha- having said that, when it comes to uh, an investment strategy within ESG renewable energy uh, in a climate, uh, if you want, where we're dealing with energy security uh, and energy transition, I, I, I certainly see us. And the feedback I'm having is that we are we are in a good spot. Next to that, uh, we decided to go for a relatively small IPO. You would say so. Um, obviously, 75 got close to 80 with the oil allotment. That also means that for us, redemption uh, has less of an impact on the any financing we want to achieve from the combination. And uh, and I think that that's back to the idea of, of trying to de-risk what you're doing to improve success. And and uh, we set out to do this on the basis of creating an investment company for the long run. Not just uh, to create a piece back and then uh, you know, wash our hands and walk away. Right. So I, I think you know we are we have created a structure where we believe execution um, is more likely to happen, and we have de-risked it by yeah also looking at ways where we can come in with uh, with where we have additional source of funding. So uh, we don't we, we're not a tech spec. We're actually looking to buy cash flow, which allows us to combine uh, you know small pipe. Uh, to make off for redemptions with some debt finance that you can put on conservatively, but will be serviced by the the cash flow of the online business. I think that's a way to create something that, in the current environment, is not necessarily too aggressive on the lease bag itself, uh, but can certainly be an attractive growth stock going forward with with multiple acquisition opportunities. Yeah, it's really good insight in terms of the focus being on EBITDA cash flow, perhaps free cash flow of the underlying asset that you're pursuing. And it seems like that's a very smart decision these days because those who invested or merged with target companies that didn't have revenue, EBITDA, profit for years and years out, those have certainly been suffering in the market with the downdraft in these hyper-growth speculative entities. But with that, what other important characteristics of a SPAC sponsor do you think it's important to be successful 
in the current challenging market environment? One of the things I, I find is that expect to uh, you know, prepare yourself for the SPAC IPO and the DSPAC as if you were any other listed company. Don't don't think that you have too many loopholes, right? Just just expect to deliver what you have to deliver so that you satisfy the regulators because ultimately it's not about them, it's about the investors. You want to give them comfort that you are operating the business the way you should be operating the business. And then you just uh, make sure that you are prepared to take the time and you staff your team with the right expertise to do it. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, you asked before about, you know, why, 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 why the spec or why a blank check company? It was, it was really just a matter of it, it, it made sense because it was a fast way to go to market. But, but, you know, even if it's fast, you, you still need to prepare yourself. You still need to deliver. And with that said, you've been up and trading in the market, having your search. I'm sure you're evaluating a ton of opportunities out there. What are some key learnings thus far from your experience as a SPAC sponsor at Climate Rock? Well, I, th- I think you, you're being, well, in terms of uh, positive and negative, I, I think it's relatively uh, uh, positive from a market point of view. I, I don't see us having had any particular issues with investors coming into our SPAC. Uh, I think we're seeing some, some good appetite, hoping that others uh, or some will actually come in in a pipe uh, to add to their stake. Um, uh, keeping you know, our name in the market uh, also through uh, discussions like this. And um, we actually think we have a story to tell. We think we, we have something that is slightly different. You don't see any, you don't see many pure, pure play renewable energy specs. You see a lot of tech specs, you see mobility specs, you see diversification within the, the climate change market, which is great if we're trying to address climate change. But from our more selfish point of view, I think we have a, I think we have a carve out and, 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 you know, with a team that's predominantly uh, based in Europe, uh, I also think that, that we are bringing perhaps assets from a different region to the, uh, to the NASDAQ market uh, once we de back. I did want to get into the weeds a bit on the sector that you focus on, sustainable investing, clean tech, renewable energy, because it entails so many different segments that have their own nuances, tailwinds, headwinds. For example, nuclear energy, to me, has always seemed like a no-brainer, but uh, governments and regulators just can't seem to wrap their heads around it. And then you're seeing quite a bit of growth in wind and solar and battery technology. What are your thoughts on the segment that you're focused on? And you know, in terms of investment thesis, what do you think provides the best opportunities for investors within the sustainability and renewable energy segments? Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question, but it's also quite a, well, it probably requires hopefully not too lengthy an answer, but there's certainly a lot of answers to that question. <laughs> if you look at it from a capital markets point of view, uh, yeah, there is a lot of capital uh, pouring into renewable energy uh, in the private market, not just in the public market. I would say certainly in the private market from pension funds and other investors that are sitting on the liquidity they have to place. And, and renewable energy is becoming a more and more important part of the real assets as a class, if you want. It used to be just real estate, then it became real estate infrastructure, now it's also renewable energy, and uh, everything is, has to be ESG compliant. So I think from a sustainable investment point of view, there's definitely a lot of interest, and we're beginning to see that more and more uh, institutional investors are, are trying to balance their investments privately and publicly. But then you have the other trends uh, across from investor point of view that uh, that they want to have more direct investments, and that that favors perhaps private investments as opposed to being a listed company. 
So uh, we see, therefore, that yields in renewable energy assets that are operating are, are compressing. You know, yields are getting lower because of the demand for these assets. Uh, we're seeing uh, you know, very well-known listed uh, renewable infrastructure funds investing increasingly upstream, as we say, into construction assets, which in our view is not to it's not to, to get better yields. It's actually to get the yields that promised the investors in the first place by taking on more risk. So again, from our point of view, coming with a, you know, say, with a blank canvas, so to speak, we're basically looking to be in the market where we think that we're adding the most value. And um, that means that you probably want to have a balanced portfolio of development and operation so you can you can actually be attractive to other investors looking to buy assets. And, uh, and that means that you get the upside uh, from the early stage development and you're balancing that with the cash flow from operating assets. And then you combine that with some service income from being able to operate the same assets. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a long-term game. Uh, short-term is to buy enough critical mass into an entity so that you can establish diversification by country, uh, establish some diversification also by uh, stage of the assets. And that's what we're trying to focus on in the targets that we are, we are looking at. Now, in terms of some of the deals that you've looked at for competitors, who are you competing against to uh, land you know, a, uh, a merger target? Would it be uh, infrastructure investment funds? Would it be publicly listed operating companies? Would it be pension funds, all of the above? Well, the simple answer is all of the above. But I, I think I mentioned before you know, that uh, the, the infrastructure funds uh, are being uh, raising uh, you know, Great number of, uh, of money from uh, the uh, ultimate uh, investors, if you, uh, the ultimate uh, you know, capital owners, uh, uh, whether it's pension funds or wealth management. And these funds uh, you know, are deploying them and uh, helping to create this uh, yield compression that I described. Uh, so, uh, so you've got to find your the markets where, you know, I think one of the opportunities actually to to go in and buy you know, attractive assets that are undervalued uh, based on you know, some of the disruptions in the market. So uh, I'm, I'm delighted that we have a team where we actually have a pretty good understanding of what's going on in local markets through many years of uh, involvement so that um, we can go in, we can go below the auctions, go below the register and, and identify individuals that where we think we have an opportunity to buy something that is slightly more attractive. Now, you mentioned compressing yields. I always imagine it's some sort of spread to, say, you know, the five-year treasury or something of that nature. Have you seen it be correlated with financing rates, like uh, in terms of co- compressing yields? Obviously, it's competitive, but has pricing come down at all as interest rates have ticked up this year? Uh, but there, there is a bit of that, but I think the, the mega trend of, of demand for renewable energy the energy security aspect, that means that the increased interest rates haven't hit the markets that hard yet. Mm. You know, longevity in terms of high interest rates is clearly going to affect the ability to put debt on these assets, right. which in, in the mature markets are often 80% debt, 20% equity, right? So you have a high degree of leverage in these assets. Now, uh, I think, therefore, you can, by not having all your exposure to operating assets in the debt market, that also allows you to have uh, a slightly you know, uh, uh, different risk profile. And then, and then I think, um, you know, when it comes to correlation in general, I've been close to the UCO markets uh, for, for many years. And uh, uh, up until recently, the UCOs were, were interestingly not correlating with, with the uh, REITs. Uh, when they were, they were performing better than REITs. And probably as an example of property markets also suffering from COVID and, uh, and the, the aspects that 
individual uh, commercial property market to uh, to be slightly weaker. But uh, I think I think the way I would look at um, uh, yields in renewable energy uh, to me has often been uh, t- treating a German solar asset similar to a German bond. So that's kind of the the uh, the benchmark. Uh, and then you add uh, risk uh, from a sector and a country uh, to to the to the yields, right? Um, and um, and then they obviously trade at a premium to 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 uh, to government bonds. Um, so there's an element of what you're suggesting that I think uh, rings true, but there's also there's also nuances. One interesting market dynamic that has played out over the past year that I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on is, you know, ESG was extremely popular for say you know five years uh, up until about a year ago, just based on its outperformance, or or they could say. Uh, you can do good by doing good, invest with uh, ESG companies and outperform. And that was the case just given the long tech, uh, low exposure to energy, oil and gas and things of that nature. However, that relationship has flipped where there'd be a, there has been a massive outperformance of oil and gas and energy names and ESG has underperformed at least in the short term. Has there been any uh, feedback from investors or change in attitudes, just given the recent outperformance of traditional energy and oil and gas vis-a-vis renewables and sustainable investments. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm probably not. I'm probably not that informed to to give a detailed answer on it. I, I I think what I'm seeing is that there is a lot of demand for renewable energy, and a lot of the investors looking at that sector. Are not allowed to invest in fossil fuels. So right. even with energy security, there are probably uh, investment organisations that are debating to what degree they can put fossil fuels into an energy transition strategy. And 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 you could argue that um, to some extent that makes sense. Um, many years ago, I was involved in and a power uh, plant financing in Bangladesh, and people were asking me why why are you going for a gas-fired power plant? Why are you not going for solar? And Bangladesh at the time, one of the poorest countries, they're doing a lot better today, actually, relatively speaking, but, but still a very poor country uh, with a lot of uh, flooding issues. Um, I mean, you can't just take a, a poor country and, and ask them to go 100% renewable uh, from one day to the next, right? You need to, so there are elements of energy transition that I think is relevant. And, and if it's natural gas as opposed to coal, that's an improvement. Our own focus with climate rock is not that market, but I can see relevance in thinking energy transition so that we are not just ignoring the fact that we need to have this energy security address. And the world is becoming probably deglobalized to some extent now, which back to your point about other energy sources, whether it's uh, green hydrogen or whether it's batteries and creating local supply chains or regional supply chains uh, to become more independent and, and with that increase energy security. This podcast is brought to you by Accelerate, one of Canada's leading alternative investment solution providers. Do you want to hedge your investment portfolio and protect your nest egg from significant drawdowns? Look no further than the Accelerate Absolute Return Hedge Fund, a long-short equity ETF that trades under the ticker symbol HEDGE, H-D-G-E, on the TSX. HEDGE, your uncorrelated portfolio diversifier. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. And so... Where do you see, or where where do you see the current ESG uh, driven theme of investing fall short? Um, you mentioned some of the the themes that you're seeing in in energy transition and things of that nature. But what other changes would you like to see in the sector? Well, I think I think we will probably like to see some more uh, uh, 
let's call it uh, product innovation. I think we, we're going for same level of efficiency in solar as we've done for the past decade, more or less. I, I know people in the sector would say that there are some improvements, but there's no revolution going on at the moment. It, it's all sort of a slow evolution of efficiency of, uh, of photovoltaic uh, panels. Um, inverters, which is another component of solar, uh, you know, are improving in efficiencies. But uh, maybe we need to look at new materials uh, for, uh, as opposed to silicon to try to really improve the panel efficiencies. Um, in solar, you probably like to see much more solar on buildings. Why not integrate uh, photovoltaic with uh, with windows, uh, where you have so much building that is uh, vertical in big cities? I think there's a massive opportunity in the solar market to grow uh, in in many dimensions. Wind, um, yeah, a lot of growth offshore with turbines getting bigger and bigger. But you you can't just continue to build bigger and bigger. You probably need to look at other ways of increasing the energy efficiency of the assets, so that um, you know you actually by increasing the efficiency of solar and wind, they're already very competitive with, with fossil fuels. But if you can use this market opportunity to really make them more efficient, then it's almost like there's no way back afterwards. Um, and then I think the, the growth of the, the, the green hydrogen market, uh, which is a market that uh, there's a lot of buzz around, um, that, that is a, a market that's been around for a long time. Uh, and and you, know, you have a lot of companies, uh, you know, whether it's US or, or Europe, that's been around for some time with technology is a green hydrogen. Um, but the, the core component of green hydrogen hasn't really developed much over the past decade. So, so there you also need to look at what's the next generation of, of uh, the so-called electrolyzers used in green hydrogen. And uh, yeah, the balance of plant distribution of the, of the gas. Uh, I think these are certainly aspects where the sector will improve. Uh, ESG is not really for me to comment on. ESG is a terminology that was introduced to make investors more aware they have to invest in what is uh, compliant with the environmental and social and governance uh, uh, rules. Um, but, but, you know, ultimately to me, that's just using best practice. You know, you've got to do what you think is right. Uh, and ESG is just a way of regulating it. Now, Per, we spoke of a lot of themes on the show today. Solar, wind, nuclear, various clean tech, renewable energy technologies, now, if you could just pick one, what is one that investors should have on their radar over the next 10 years? Well, I think I think um, I, I, I alluded to it already. Uh, to me, it's a renewable hydrogen. Uh, so it's using the growing capacity of renewable energy to power uh, green hydrogen production. Uh, green hydrogen or hydrogen market is, is actually a significant component of the global energy markets. Um, and there are many industries that are able to to make the full transition into the green economy uh, unless they are also able to to transition their hydrogen consumption to green hydrogen from uh, hydrogen and, uh, or what we call reformed hydrogen from oil and gas. So 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 renewable hydrogen uh, is a massive theme over the next ten years. That doesn't prevent solar from growing. That doesn't prevent wind from growing. I think you could also see much more development of hydroelectric power. Uh, but I think renewable hydrogen is, is, a, is, a, is a massive opportunity. Well, that's a great place to end it. The recommendation of green hydrogen, renewable hydrogen, to keep that on your radar for investors. So thank you, Per, for coming on the show. The SPAC that you're currently managing, ticker symbol CLRC, trading in New York. So investors can take a look into that if they want to follow along all the progress that you're making at Climate Rock. So wishing you the best of success and we'll be watching the story closely. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for being on the show.
All right, take care. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.